0: This is pretty in practice the podcast.
1: We are your host, Lay, fitness enthusiast and pre-medical student, Dr. India, pharmacist, D, second-year medical student, Dr. Justice, physical therapist. We are four black millennial women practicing in healthcare.
0: This podcast is a space to take you along the journey. The to
2: and through from fitness to medicine
1: to simply being a black woman in healthcare. Practice isn't always pretty. Purpose isn't always easy.
2: Stick around and we'll show you how to keep it
0: pretty pretty in practice.
2: Practice. Opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of our own as well as our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of our respective employers, organizations, academic institutions, committees, other groups, or individuals. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Pretty in Practice. As always, we are going to start with our doctor's diaries question. Okay, so this one is, what is your biggest pet peeve? Hmm.
0: I have a lot, um, some a little bit more serious than others, but I'm going to say this just because it's probably not common, but what? It annoys me is when I do something for someone or sorry, someone does something for me and I say, thank you. And they say, mm-hmm, instead of you welcome. Mm. I don't know why that annoys me so much. It's just, I just personally feel like it's kind of like, mm-hmm, get out of here. And I just want a you welcome or at least I'll welcome, you know, <laughs> it doesn't Not even much. you. take so that much. Yeah. I'm probably an N of one, but yeah, that's fair. Anybody else?
3: I mean, the one that comes to mind is is being late in time for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I we mean, I'm all still getting over that. That
2: yeah. is definitely her pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine personally is when people lie to me, mm-hmm. um, especially like if I give you the opportunity to tell me the oh, truth, yeah, and you don't. That is like my biggest pet peeve because mm-hmm. I'm just, especially at this big age, like we're all adults. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. no reason to lie, like just They're
1: scared of me be either. honest you know so I think lying is one of my biggest pet peeves this is so crazy because I know I have some I just can't think of them right now like I know stuff annoys me um but my mind is just going blank but yeah I mean I don't like when I don't like people lying especially when I ask you in a way that it's obvious I know I just need you to tell the truth like, I'm yes. asking very specific <laughs> questions. It is just like, yes. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that is pretty annoying. I agree with that.
2: Okay, so on our episode today, we are going to do something a little different. So we are going to work through a patient case. It's a case that we made up, um, and we wanted to highlight a topic or a disease that definitely affects the black community um, at two times the rate of affecting those of European descent and also point out the fact that this um, condition specifically is affecting Hispanics as well and their mortality rates have increased since 2013 according to the Centers for Disease Controlling um, Prevention. And so that condition that we're going to talk about today and work through is a stroke. And so we'll start with just some simple definitions of what a stroke is and what the two different types of strokes are.
1: Yeah, so a stroke is essentially an interruption of blood flow to the brain. um, And that is specifically interrupting oxygen flow to the brain because that's You know, a lot of people may or may not know um, the way your uh, oxygen gets delivered to your body is through, um, you know, the blood supply. So there's two different types of uh, strokes. There's a ischemic stroke and then there's the hemorrhagic stroke. So the um, ischemic stroke is actually due to the blood vessels becoming narrowed or actually blocked. Um, The hemorrhagic stroke is as a result of a blood vessel actually rupturing. Um, so that kind of sums up the the two different types of stroke.
2: Yes, thank you for those definitions. So we're going to start with the case. Um, I'm going to read the case, and I'll be taking pauses after maybe every one or two sentences to explain what this would mean to me as a medical student and then as a future doctor. Okay, so let's get into it. A 60-year-old black man with a history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and diabetes presented to a comprehensive stroke center with a sudden onset of weakness of the right side. So I wanted to point out and stop here. I already mentioned strokes are more common among people of color. So that's one thing I would have to take note of. Um, Strokes are also more common in in men than women. And so our patient here is a man. Also have to, you know, tally that up. Um, the patient we are describing in this case has several risk factors for stroke, including his age. So according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the chance of having a stroke doubles every 10 years after the age of 55, and our patient is 60. So this is definitely something that's on the radar. Um, he also has a history of hypertension, which is just the medical word for high blood pressure. He also has hyperlipidemia, which is the medical term for high cholesterol. And then he also has diabetes, which is... Um, We refer to as like high blood sugar. And so all of those are risk factors that I would take note of when this patient was presented to me. His wife was present and denoted that he has a family history of stroke. On examination, he had right facial droop, right hemiparesis, and global aphasia. So his family history puts our patient at a greater risk of stroke. Um, Our patient also has several signs that are consistent with stroke. So starting with the right facial droop, this is commonly known amongst, like, the general public. If you see someone who has, like, that facial droop or twisting of one side of their face, a lot of times that's, like, your signal that this person may be having a stroke. Then we also have, or this patient has hemoparesis, which is just paralysis of one side of the body. So in this case, it is the right side. And then he also has global aphasia. So this is when a person has impairment across all language modalities meaning our patient in this case may be having some trouble speaking and understanding language. A CT without contrast of the head showed hypodensity in the region of the left middle cerebral artery. A CT angiography confirmed occlusion of the left middle cerebral artery. Okay, so CT stands for commuted tomography, and it is one of the imaging tools used to help diagnose a stroke. It can also be used to diagnose many other diseases and many other abnormalities. Our patient CT showed a hypodense area, which means it was dark. There was a dark area on the CT scan in the area or in the region of the middle cerebral artery. So that would indicate to me as a physician, well, I'm currently a medical student, but as a physician that there's a high chance of an ischemic stroke. And again, ischemic just means blood flow is restricted or reduced from that part of the brain. According to John Hopkins Medicine, A CT angiography is a type of medical test that combines a CT scan with an injection of a special dye to produce pictures of blood vessels and tissues in a part of your body. So in our patient, the CT angiography showed that there is a blocked blood vessel and that blood vessel is the left middle cerebral artery. So we can confirm that our patient is definitely suffering from an ischemic stroke. Um, And this is consistent with all of his right sided symptoms because they tend to occur Um, on the side of the body opposite to the occluded blood vessel. So if his left middle cerebral artery is being blocked, then he's going to produce signs on the right side of his body. Initial management of this patient included assessing the airway, breathing and circulation, something that we refer to in the medical field as the ABCs. Um, After stabilizing the patient, a blood glucose is ordered, which resulted in a value of 108 milligrams per deciliter. So this blood glucose is okay for a diabetic patient who took insulin shortly after dinner, according to his wife, um, the reason it is important to check blood glucose is because hypoglycemia, which just means low blood sugar, can oftentimes mimic symptoms of a stroke. Mm-hmm. This patient is a diabetic and he complies with his treatment plan, so therefore we're not suspicious of hypoglycemia. Additionally, his value was 108 milligrams per deciliter, which is Okay. Um, after confirming that there are no contraindications, which is important, we want to make sure before we give a patient any kind of drug, we want to make sure that, you know, that person is not at a higher risk of some kind of crazy side effect. Mm-hmm. Um, the patient was administered out of place, which is a thrombolytic agent that will be used to break up the blood clot that's blocking the patient's middle cerebral artery. And endovascular thrombectomy is also being considered... For this patient in which a surgeon can remove the blood clot under image guidance. So that's what an endovascular thrombectomy means. So now I want to ask India from a pharmacological standpoint, what are some additional things that we would need to do for this patient after starting his out of and confirming that he did indeed suffer from an ischemic stroke?
0: Yeah, so I want to touch on the outer place and just say that we want to make sure that we start that early as possible. We want to really get in there and break down what we call a clot, um, which is something that happens. The platelets, which are platelets are normal um, components of your blood. And what happens is that they usually control the blood and they help form clots as well as, you know, just make sure that if you are having a cut or a scratch or something, they make sure that, you know, don't bleed out or anything like that. But um, in a stroke situation, um, he has had too many platelets going on. So we want to make sure that we are getting in there one and busting down the clot that he has. So that's what the autoplace place is going to be. It's going to be something that we are administering intravenously and then the second component that we need to think about for him is antiplatelet therapy which is what I was just talking about the platelets that circulate around in your blood so um, in the hospital we want to make sure that we do give this patient aspirin um, which is something that everyone should be familiar with aspirin um, that's going to help ensure that you know there's not too many platelets in the blood and it's not overclotting um, and we're also going to make sure that the patient goes home with aspirin um, it's usually going to be low daily doses of aspirin. Um, For those who don't know, aspirin can um, contribute to internal bleeding, so we want to make sure that we're treating the patient as safely as possible, but still controlling any of the aspects for uh, any secondary strokes or anything like that. So the patient's going to need to go home with aspirin. There are also other uh, platelets, anti-platelets out there like Clopidogrel or Plavix, if you guys have heard of that, Uh, FEM, Prasigrel, those are other options that the patient can be on based on the physician's choice Uh, but just it's going to be really important to make sure that we are doing everything we can to prevent the clot from forming again. Another component of that is going to be uh, treatment for hyperlipidemia because that's a huge component to a stroke. So we want to make sure that we are monitoring the patient's cholesterol level, ensuring that the patient has um, non-pharmacological information about what they eat, so making sure that they are controlling their fat intake and all of that good stuff and knowledgeable about that. But then from a a treatment stance, we are going to want to make sure that this patient is on what we call a statin. So if you guys have heard of Lipitor, which is a torvistatin, simvastatin, Mm -hmm. um, those are going to be things that help control um, just the cholesterol level overall in your blood. So this patient's going to need to go on that and likely a high intensity statin.
2: Perfect. Thank you, India. And then Justice, I wanted you to talk a little bit more about your experiences um, with stroke patients and what that recovery process looked like.
3: Yeah. So um, a lot of times after a stroke, Uh, Patients have physical impairment. So some of those things could be like weakness or lack of coordination, um, problems walking, uh, loss of sensation, balance deficits, problems with grasping, um, visual loss, and trouble speaking. So uh, many of those things we do treat um, and other of those things we have to keep in consideration. So like from this personal case. Um, I would definitely um, peek more at the hemiparesis. So I would have to know that that patient is likely from that left MCA. I know that I'm likely going to walk into an eval with a patient who has right-sided weakness mm-hmm. um, and generally Uh, an MCA stroke, you're generally going to see more weakness in the upper extremity. So I'm probably going to look at that right upper extremity a little bit more. Um, But also I have to keep in consideration with my treatment that I'm preparing them to go home. So it kind of depends on what setting I'm in, but we're always preparing a patient to be as independent as possible and to be able to go home because that's Mm -hmm. generally everyone's goal. But a big thing in this case was the global aphasia. So Um, when you're treating a patient, you have to be able to communicate with them. So it's really hard to teach them to walk if they can't understand you and they yeah. also can't respond to you. So mm-hmm. with that global aphasia, that would pose a, a big amount of a barrier to therapy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, so it will be definitely harder for them. Um, but one thing I do want to note is that, like, this is brain damage. Um, and though we can't fix brain damage, um, we can help the stroke patient. Um, have better long-term outcomes Mm -hmm. so there's a term that we use um, called neuroplasticity um, and that just goes to show that the brain has the ability to rewire and improve the circuits that it has after a stroke or in general every day for everyone Mm -hmm. but it's very important for a stroke patient because we cannot correct that brain damage Mm -hmm. um, but we can help them uh, get better like so if the patient can't walk we can find alternatives to get them moving around better Um, a lot of times the base is trying to get them to transfer from a chair to a bed because that's Mm -hmm. important or um, trying to get them to stand for balance Um, but it kind of all depends on what level of care they're in so they're obviously always going to start out in acute care at a hospital yeah I mean from there based on how severe their impairments are um, will determine where they go. So, um, So some patients walk out of a stroke and they're fine. Like, Mm -hmm. they can walk out of the building. Like, you don't even know they had a stroke. Whereas other patients, they have a super flaccid left or right arm in this case, and Mm -hmm. they can't use it at all. Like, Mm -hmm. they can't activate the muscles. So it truly depends on their level of impairment. Um, But a lot of times um, for moderate or severe cases, they generally go to what's called inpatient rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also kind of a hospital setting where there's still nurses, there's still doctors, there's still under, like, very strict care, um, but they're getting a lot of therapy. So yeah. they, so when they send an inpatient rehab, they also have to consider if they're able to take on three hours of therapy a day. So they get three hours of therapy a day for five days a week in inpatient rehab. Um, and generally it's the bottom line is if they can handle three hours. So if they're yeah. super, super, they have that global aphasia and they have, Uh, severe hemiparesis, and they don't think that they'll do well, they'll Mm -hmm. send them to a a lower amount of therapy because they can't stand it. So if you can't stand it, what good is it going to do for you? Exactly. Um, So inpatient rehab is is really big in stroke. Um, I personally just did a 12-week contract at an inpatient rehab hospital, and I was on the stroke and brain injury team. So I've seen a lot of those patients come directly from the hospital into inpatient rehab, um, and they generally only get an average of 14 days. Do you think Um, that's enough? It's not enough at Mm -hmm. all. Um, So this is high-level care, so it's expensive. I get it. Mm -hmm. But, like, like these patients need – like, we all know that – they have the best outcomes with interventions within the first couple of months. Yeah. Right. Um, and then they start to plateau after that. So like getting them the most amount of therapy in the beginning is the best and ideal. So mm-hmm. if I could recommend all patients like that to go to inpatient rehab, that would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously all of them cannot. So there are other like options for therapy that some patients go to. So I also do a little bit of practice in skilled nursing facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically that's like a, A nursing home but it has a rehab so there's people who come there strictly just for rehab and then they'll go home okay um but the level of therapy is a lot less so patients in a skilled nursing facility get maybe 30 minutes of therapy uh Five days a week. Um, so oh. a lot less. Um, mm-hmm. But if the patient can't take it, like, that's a better amount of care. Yeah. If they can't go home for someone to help them transfer, because sometimes they're a Hoyer lift. Like, right. their, their mm-hmm. family can't lift them to the right. other bed. So right. this is yeah. an alternative if someone can't care for you at home. Yeah. Um, so there's that, too. So um, And then from there, so if they do leave, like, a sniff or an inpatient rehab, there's always the options of home health mm-hmm. or outpatient therapy. And generally they allow the home health as if you can't leave your home. So they're still in – Need of a lot of therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the therapist will come to them um, and generally they'll focus more on trying to make them more efficient in the home. And a lot of times, even if they do go to inpatient rehab and things, it's nice to have a home health therapist come in and mm-hmm. practice with them in their home because right. we can set up and pretend as much as we want. My patient can tell me that their their um, tub is, they think, is 17 inches, but they have to step over that to get in the shower. Yeah. Like That's a barrier yeah. for them to go home, but like, you have to shower. Right. So I have to um, think about all those things. Are there stairs to get in the house that you used to could be able to do, but you can't do anymore? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of those things come into play. So if they are able to leave their home and they're doing pretty well, they can go to outpatient therapy, which again is now at lower level so you're likely only gonna get three uh times a week maybe at an hour. Mm -hmm. Um and so the focus is very different in a lot of those cares and it truly depends on a patient basis. Um because we can have two stroke patients with similar hypodense areas in their brain and they still present totally different. Yeah. Um and there's nothing we can do about that but treat that patient for who they are and Mm -hmm. what they what they have going on. So what's their house like, uh what's their Mm -hmm. family support? Right. um, there's just a lot of things you have to take in consideration because we are the ones who prepare them to go home. Yeah. So, like, right. their medical care is cool. Like, generally at that point, like, there's not a ton left of medical care after, mm-hmm. like, two weeks or so. Like, right. it, mm-hmm. there's some management, but, like, now it's physical deficits. Like, um, so, yeah, that's that's I, a lot of.
2: I have a question. I don't know if you know, but, like, at what point do occupational therapy so um, come in and assist? Like, do they have to wait? until physical therapy is done or is that done at the same time yeah it's generally
3: simultaneously so okay. like when i was in the inpatient rehab like they have three hours of care there mm-hmm. uh ot and pt are coming in at the same time and we're splitting okay. that time so they get an hour and a half of ot and an hour and a half of pt or sometimes two and one mm-hmm. um, okay. or also they get speech like if they have that global right. aphasia so right. now we split it one 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 um oh, so it, wow. it very much just depends but i would say like a lot of times when the ot's will focus on like Making sure they can shower and bathe mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and dress and brush stand up to brush their teeth or how are they going to do those type of things. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I'll come in and make sure that they can balance and, and transfer and stand to do those things. Or some of these people are trying oh. to return to their job. So, like, right. I have to prepare them to be able to, to walk a certain distance right. to even mm-hmm. get back to their job. So, that's a lot of things that take into consideration um it is <laughs> there yeah so it's wow
0: not as simple as it may seem but and mm-hmm. even harder on the patient yeah, i can right, yeah, yeah so like they're oh, they're sure. in and a they're traumatic families. position like they're living yeah. somewhere
3: else yeah, yeah. And i'm coming in to force them to do therapy yeah. every single day like mm-hmm. it is hard um and i know we've spoken in another episode is like uh, these are, I get to see patients in very, very vulnerable states. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's important that I like be vulnerable back because they mm-hmm. think that I'm just the most perfect human when I walk in this door because right. I walked in the door just fine. Like, right. yeah. like you can't wow. see my ailments right now. Right. Um, so,
2: yeah. So That's true. That's very interesting. I'm really happy that we decided to talk about stroke um, today just so everyone is a little more aware of the risk factors, Um, and what that treatment looked like. So if you're someone who personally has suffered from a stroke or have a family member who has suffered from a stroke, give yourself grace, give your family member grace, because it is very serious. Um, I know that we were always taught in med school, um, time is brain. So it's very important to kind of know when and how to recognize a stroke. So with that, I'm going to give you guys a... way to remember some of the common signs and symptoms of a stroke. Um, in the medical field, we call it FAST, F-A-S-T. So the F stands for face. So ask the person to smile. Does one side of the face droop? So if you're sitting at a table with someone and all of a sudden, you know, you see that their attention is elsewhere or not present at all, mm-hmm. ask the person to smile um, and see if one side of their face droop. And then A stands for arms. And so ask the person to raise both arms and see if one of the arms drifts downward. That's another sign. S stands for speech. Ask the person to repeat a simple phrase, so, like, unlock the door. Um, Is their speech slurred or strange? That's something that's like another red flag. And then T stands for time. If you observe any of these signs, so any of those three signs, call 911 immediately because, again, time is brain, meaning the longer they go without Mm -hmm. oxygen to that part of their brain, the worse their outcomes will be. So please be mindful of these um, signs and symptoms among your family members, obviously lo- among those who are over the age of 55, but even if you have family members who are younger than that, who suffer from some of those risk factors like high cholesterol, um, diabetes, or high blood pressure, always try and be aware and alert and kind of just on the lookout for things like that. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Um, we Our goal was really to make you more aware of strokes, how it presents, and then to show you how we work as an interprofessional team in the medical field so remember no matter where you are on your journey journey always keep it pretty
1: as always thank you for joining us for the ride be sure to keep in touch by following us on instagram and subscribing to our youtube channel at pretty in practice feel free to send us a dm of any topics you want us to discuss and you might hear them on a future pretty in practice episode keep it pretty